Let me say good morning to Daystar Church in Hartsell and Madison and our online campus. Guys, uh, you hear it, Good Hope, you don't know it, we have churches uh, in other places that worship together with us. They just had awesome worship from their worship team, but we're all sharing the same message together, which I think is really cool. And hey, you guys that are online, hey, thank you for joining us. If you're watching Facebook Live or if you're watching us on the, on the live stream, we're super glad that you're here, and I want to invite you to be here in person. Join us in person so that you can experience this fully and feel the presence of God. So I want everybody, if you want everybody online to sit next to you in this room, I want you to clap your hands so they can hear you welcoming them to join us here. All right. All right. Hey, next Sunday's huge, big, big deal. Um, next Sunday's Vision Sunday. In my mind, next Sunday's the most important Sunday of the year. Easter's a big deal, I know it's what you're thinking, but, but really, like the most important, because Vision Sunday answers the question, why Daystar Church? See, some, some people think, well, we do church because we've always done church. We do church because, you know, there's, there should be a church, and that's where you go to get forgiveness, and, but it is much more than that. The reason for who this church is is a big deal, and so next Sunday, I want you to make sure you're here invite your family and friends. I bet everybody hearing my voice right now knows someone who hadn't been to church lately. You know they're a part of Daystar. Call them, tell them you've missed them. I want everybody here for Vision Sunday because I want to tell you where we're going next year. I'm also going to give you a little update. We had an amazing trip two weeks in Africa. I want to, I'll show you some pictures and video of that and, and talk about that. That's all starting next Sunday. Uh, let us pray together right now for our country. How many would, would be okay? We need some prayer for our country right now. Crazy stuff that's going on, the political nonsense. You know, we've got a team right now from Daystar down on the Gulf Coast, that hurricane that hit a couple weeks back. I, I was in Africa when it hit, but it, it hit uh, uh, in the Panama City area. We've got a team down there right now. Some of you donated supplies or money for it. Thank you for that. And we got people down there serving. Don't you love your church, man? There's just people doing stuff all the time. We want to pray for them. We especially want to pray for the people of Pittsburgh, the Jews that were attacked in a, just the worst anti-Semitic attack on American soil. Uh, and 11 Jews were killed in Pittsburgh uh, at, at that synagogue. So let's do this right. Let's just pray for them. If you're sitting close to somebody you know, just take them by the hand. Let's just, let's just pray in agreement. So Father, right now, as the faith family, we pray for our nation. We pray for um, the leaders of our country. We pray a, a prayer of repentance on behalf of our nation, and we repent, God. You said in your word, if, if, we, would, uh, if we would humble ourselves and pray, we would repent, we'd seek your ways and, and turn from our wicked ways, that you would hear us from heaven and you would forgive our sins and you would heal our land. We are humbling and we are praying, and we're asking forgiveness for our nation, for our leaders, for the, the rhetoric and the, the divisiveness our nation has come to we pray, God, for the safety of our team in Florida and all those recovering, and especially for your peace over the Jewish people of Pittsburgh today. God, that your grace would rest upon them, and we pray for the only solution there is for a revival of the presence of God in this country. God, we know there's not a law made that will work without your presence, God. When there's not a political party that can solve it, God, we, we know there's not enough good deeds, but we need a revival of your presence, and we pray that our church and the body of Christ globally would rise up 
to share your, pri- your presence and your power around the world. And all God's people said, Amen. Because we don't pray somber prayers where we don't have expectation. Because we pray in faith, would you clap your hands and thank God for a revival. A revival we believe is coming. Amen. I want to start with something kind of weird that you've probably never heard anybody read in church. This is called Cornford's Law. Cornford's Law. God bless the whoever's called Cornford. That's a bad name, but that's his name. And here's what he said. Nothing is ever done until everyone is convinced that it ought to be done and has been convinced for so long that it's now time to do something else. Some of you are like, that's where I work. I work at that place right there. Change is hard, isn't it? Why is it that change is so hard? And it's so easy to see someone else's need for change when you really don't want to change your own life. I was, I was trying to think about, like, what, what could I show you visually that shows how easy it is to see someone else needs change? And for some reason, my mind went to Walmart. Like the people of Walmart. Have you ever seen that website? It's just like walmartpeople.com and do not, in the name that all is holy, pick up your phone right now. Do not look at those pictures right now in the house of God. I'm not even going to show them to you. I was going to show you some, but I knew that the Holy Spirit and Leslie would not allow that, so I'm not showing you any of those pictures. Uh, but, you know, when you see a 400-pound man in a leotard in the produce section at Walmart, you're like, you know, he needs some change in his life. <laughs> Why is it so easy for us to see someone else's need for change? Maybe even not that dramatic. You, you, you can see your family members need to change this about themselves. Uh, you know, you can see your spouse needs to change this about themselves. Don't say amen. Just not, don't even do nothing. Just eyes ahead. You, but you know they need to change. Why is it so hard for you to see and affect change in your own life? It's tough, isn't it? If it is, just say amen. It's kind of tough. But the, the faith walk is a walk of change. In other words, you can't walk in Jesus and stay the same. I'll show you. 2 Corinthians 3 and 18 says, But we all, all of us, all of us believers, are being transformed. See, that's, that's a progressive process. We're being transformed in the image of God from glory to glory. Did you feel a little bit of glory in our worship experience just a minute ago? It's glorious like it was wow there's God there's more than good music and, and lights and smoke and video. man it, I felt something yeah from a glory to glory we're transformed in the image of God by the Spirit of God now you can't be transformed and stay the same so it's very clear God wants us to change and so what it is is we're in a partnership with God whereby God helps us change and we work on change ourselves I want to show you two ways God affects change really it kind of covers the whole way God affects change two ways in your life and I want to show you a third way, which is your best way to affect change in your life. And, and, and I'm, I gave you some notes in your worship guide. I really hope you'll keep these notes. We have free notebooks at all of our campuses in the lobby because I want you to learn and grow and kind of consider each page of this as curriculum. You know, you, you keep up with this, and every week you're learning something else. It's like a textbook. And over the years, you learn so much. Here's the first tool of God's change. His favorite way to change you, number one, is His Word. Simply through His Word. It's a textbook of how you ought to change your life. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, 16, all Scripture is inspired by God, and it's useful for these things, for teaching, for showing people what is wrong with their lives, for correcting faults, and for teaching how to live right. Using the Scriptures, the person who serves God will be capable having all that is needed to do every 
good work. The Bible transforms your life. There was a, a, an island on the South Seas uh, with a, like an ancient tribe of cannibals. And, and a missionary, a Christian missionary went. You shared the gospel with them, had Bibles distributed in a language they could read, and, and many of those, those ancient cannibals came to faith, gave up that cannibalistic, you know, uh, pagan lifestyle, and became followers of Christ. A few years later, there was another visitor that was there, and he saw a man, one of those converts, sitting beside a, a campfire reading his Bible. <clears throat> this guy was an atheist, and he walks up to him and says, what are you reading? The guy says, it's my Bible. He said, Bible? I mean, you guys are so backwards here. Don't you know that modern civilized man has rejected that book? And that there's nothing in that book that can help you? That book can absolutely do nothing good for you. The new convert, former cannibalist, looked at him and said, well, this book's doing something good for you right now. So what are you talking about? He said, it's because of this book that I'm not eating you right now. <laughs> See, this book has been changing people for years. All cultures, all hang-ups, this book changes us. And so what we, if we want to be better, if we want to be a, a better version of ourselves, read the book, memorize the book, study the book, apply it to your life. And if I meet a person who's having trouble with their faith, they say, my faith is weak, I ask them, how much have you been reading the Bible? Because Romans says, faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Man, you hear the Word of God when you hear them sing. Let me tell you, make a promise to you right now, you'll never come to this church and hear a song that is not biblically inspired. We don't sing anything that's not God's Word put to music. You might not like all the songs, you might not like all the style, but I promise you the theology will always be good because faith is built when you hear the Word of God. That's why you ought to read it. You ought to read it to yourself. You ought to quote it out loud. If you don't like to read, get the Bible app and it'll read it for you. If you don't have a smartphone, pay young children to read the Bible to you. It will be worth whatever it costs you to let God's Word pour over you because healing comes from God's Word. Freedom from addictions come from God's Word. The restoration of marriage and broken relationship comes from God's Word. It's the best thing you have. And it's God's favorite way to affect positive change in your life is His Word. I call it the smooth way. You know, just like real smooth. Everybody say, smooth. You're almost there. Th th think of a Milky Way commercial where the caramel is rolling off the mountain. And, and that's the way God wants to change your life. Through His Word, everybody say, smooth. That that's the way God wants to change it. Just real smooth and flowy. Now, here's the thing. Some of us are not real smooth, <laughs> and we're kind of stubborn. And so God has other ways to affect change. You know, He wants to inspire us. Word, worship glory, His presence, the truth, training, small groups, iron, sharpening, all these wonderful smooth ways. But if we're stubborn, number two, God uses circumstances. That's the bumpy way for you to learn how to be who God wants you to be. How many has ever been changed through circumstances? Come on, wave it up at me. Don't lie because you get some more circumstances. There you go. Amen. See, see, the perfect way is the, the, the smooth way, through worship and Bible reading and teaching and all that. But sometimes God has another way to change us. C.S. Lewis says, God whispers to us in our pleasure, but He shouts to us in our pain. You've been there, right? Here's what the Bible says about that, Romans 8 and 28. Now we know that God causes, everybody say causes. He causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to His 
purpose. Now, this is one of the most often misquoted Bible verses. This is what it sounds like. All things work for good. Something bad happens in your life. Something terrible. Well, you know, all things work for good. I don't know what God's doing, but all things work for good. That's not what that verse says. You ever, you ever, you ever had a, a Christian, like a, a goody two-suits Christian, right when all chaos happened in your life, they just look at you and go, well, all things work for good. I want to like, tell me, tell me one more time, it works for good. One more time. You ever wanted to slap a, you know, goody two-shoe? All things work for good. That's not what that says. That, that idea, all things work for good, it's just like, don't worry about it. Don't try. Don't pray. Don't, it's just going to work out. It's just not always going to work out that way. This verse actually says God has an active role. Watch this. Look at it again on the screen. We know that God causes. Can you guys put, there it is. That God causes all things. In other words, God rolls up his sleeves and he actively gets in there to cause things. In other words, they're not working for your good right now. God's got to make them work. He's causing them to work uh, for those who love God. Everybody say, love God. Love is the first qualification for God to cause it to work out for you. Love is not a state of being. Love is an action. Well, I just love God. It's going to work out for me. I love God. No, you've got to do something. Love is active. Love is worship. Love is serving. Love is humbling yourself. Love is giving. Love is going. Love is praying. Love is an action word. And for you to see God get in there and get that mess and roll up his sleeves and fix your mess, you've got to work. You've got to love him. And secondly, look at it again for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Everybody say his purpose. See, you are called according to your purpose first. And you've got to crucify your flesh to be called according to his purpose. You got it. You, you, you want it to do it your way. You want to you explain it the way that makes sense to you and go that route. And to do it his way takes humility. It takes uh, service. It takes, it takes prayer. And see, when you, when you decide this is not perfect, it's not going well, but I'm just going to stick with God. I'm going to keep going toward him. I'm going to chase his presence. I'm, I'm going to worship. I'm going to do the things that I'm supposed to do. All of a sudden, you become in contract with God. And then when all hell breaks loose in your life and horrible things are happening and you've made up your mind, I'm going to trust him anyways. I'm going to humble myself anyways. I'm going to give. I'm going to pray. I'm going to do my part. I'm going to worship anyways. Then the Bible says God rolls up his sleeves. He gets in the middle of that chaos and he causes all the bad things to work out for your good. I wonder if anybody here has ever seen chaos turn into the presence of God because God did it for you. Could you praise him if he's ever done something like that for you? Saying, God, thank you. Thank you, God. He causes the bad. This last week, we, went, we were in Africa, uh, and, and our mission um, took us to Kenya, and we were at an African women's prison. And uh, a, a more horrible place to be in, I, I've never seen. You cannot imagine what these women, the conditions... We were there, we had a little worship service with them. We brought them some supplies. They were not afforded toiletries. We brought the toiletries. Had, had two infants, I mean like literally days old babies that were, I don't know if they were born there, but they lived there with their moms in prison. And we brought supplies for the babies. And, and they asked me to dedicate the children to the Lord. <laughs> what an incredible, I mean, I was just, that was so cool to just pray over those babies in that prison. And Andrew Wood stood up young guy on our team, and he shared the gospel with these women. And it was out of the two-week trips, one of my highlights, to hear him open his Bible to Jeremiah 29 and just start sharing the gospel with these women. And to tell them that, that you know, Jeremiah 29, 11 is where it says God has a plan for your life. And to tell them that, he said, God has a plan for your life even in this place. 
to tell them that in the worst place imaginable, God's plan is more powerful than that awful place you are right now. And that God has not overlooked you. He's not forsaken you. You're not hidden. So if you, come on, if there's any place that you would think you could be hidden and forgotten, it would have to be in a women's African prison. Come on. But the truth is, God knew right where they were. And he told them, God's going to raise you up from this place, and he has a plan for you and your children from this place. How much more does God have a plan for your life? And how much more do the circumstances you're going through not mean that's the end of your future, but in fact it means God is working out something better for your life. See, the problem with us is we get all bogged down in the details. And, and God doesn't want us to do that. God wants us to realize that if it was good or bad or if it was my fault or if it was someone else's fault, He's going to work those things out. I know when, when, when the rug gets pulled out from under my feet and I'm, I'm like all messed up, I want to know what did I do wrong. What did you do wrong? Who did something wrong to me? What did the devil do wrong? What did God do wrong? And God is like, hey, you know what? Why don't you just trust me? Why don't you just get up and play the next play? Why don't you go back in the game? Why don't you trust that if you just keep working toward my presence, if you keep serving me and loving others, I will work all things out for your good. And that's God's word for somebody here today. It has not worked out perfectly for you, but that doesn't mean you're disqualified from God's plan. Now remember, he wants to do it the easy way for you, the smooth way, right? But sometimes, you know, we miss it, and so God keeps teaching us. It's like when I was a, a youth pastor, I took some kids to inner city Atlanta uh, during the Olympics, <clears throat> and, and uh, I, I made them all take a discipleship quiz. They're trying to decide, like, uh, what should they have to score to pass and get to go? 60, 70? I finally decided they had, had to score 100 because I couldn't see anything on the list that I wanted to send them to, you know, inner city and them not understand. And some of them had to take the test four or five times. You know, I'd let them keep taking the test, but I would not let them go until they knew it all. I think God's kind of that same way with you. It's like God is saying, you know, you're taking the same test over and over again, and God is saying, because I know you can get it right. I know you can, I know you can understand this. Some of you are taking the same patience test over and over again. Don't look at your neighbor. Don't even like, I just saw a loving wife go, Leslie, I know. No, I'm kidding. You, you, you know, you, you're taking the same test over and over again. And, and here's a verse that you probably don't see very often. You probably never heard uh, much preaching about it. But it, it tells us that if there's something deeply rooted in us and it doesn't need to be there, God has ways of getting out. Remember, if there's something in you that shouldn't be there, God wants to get it out the smooth way. Remember? Come on, everybody say it with me. Smooth. Yeah, he, wants to, he wants to do it the smooth way. This is the other way, Proverbs 20 and 30. Blows and wounds cleanse away evil. And beatings purge the inmost being. How many of you have a Christian t-shirt with that verse on it? <laughs> Nobody, right? That verse is not ever going to see the light of day on a Christian t-shirt. In fact, that's a very good way to go out of business. Make a bunch of those shirts. How many of you have ever sung that worship song that sings about the blows and beatings and bruising and pounding that God... That's not there, you know. But it is there in God's Word. God, God, what God is saying is, my vision of you is so clean, so pure, so perfect, that if you don't take it the smooth way, I'm going to find other ways to show you how to be better. And the truth is, nobody changes. There's an old phrase that says, we only change when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of the change. And so sometimes God lets that happen. So what's the lesson? The lesson is be proactive. Don't wait on the wounds and the beatings and the blows, right? 
Don't wait on that. D decide that you're going to worship and you're going to grow and you're going to be a part of what God wants to do in your life and make a commitment. I want to make a commitment with you right now. Here's my commitment. If you will commit with me that you'll be in the Lord's house for worship, you'll be here, you'll grow and you'll learn, I'll make a commitment to you that we will never waste your time. That every single time you come in here, the Word of God will be lifted in worship in an inspiring, spirit-filled way. And the truth will be preached every single time you come. Is that a deal? Everybody say, deal. It's a great deal to make right there. Because that's the way God wants to affect the great change in your life. Don't wait on circumstances to force your change. Grow in God through His presence. So there, there's the two ways God changes. His Word and through circumstances. Now let me show you the one best way for you to affect positive change in your life. Write this down if you're taking notes. Number one, my best tool for change, when I choose my thoughts. Did you know you can choose your thoughts? You don't have to just think about what somebody brings up or what, what comes across your plane of vision. My aunt used to teach this in, in, in Sunday school when she taught my class. She said, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop him from building a nest. You ever heard that? In your hair. You know, you, you, in other words, you know, it's there. It's a thought. It's, it's, it's in your mind. But you don't have to dwell on it. You, you, can, you can choose what you think about. And here's why that's important. Proverbs 4 and 23 real clearly says, Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your what? Thoughts. You show me someone whose life stinks, I'll show you someone with a stinky thought life. Because that's the, how it happened. The reason your life stinks is you kept thinking stinky thoughts. No, no, no. That's not why my life stinks. Stuff happened to me. Guess what? Stuff happened to everybody. See, I'm a pastor. I forgot to tell y'all. <laughs> I'm a pastor. I'm not an entertainer. You know, I'm not. There's a lot of Christian entertainers that uh, have pastor in front of their name, but I'm a real pastor. Real pastors re preach all the Bible happy parts, the part make you smile, parts that make, you know, whatever, and then the, the other parts. This is one of the other parts, all right? You ready for it? Don't matter, here it comes, all right? <laughs> Don't wait until everything, until the worst case scenario happens in your life to change. Just go ahead and make up your mind, I'm going to change my thought patterns. Because if you think pure thoughts, pure actions will happen in your life. See, what we want to do is we want to police our actions. I want to stop doing this thing. And I'm going to tell you, that can't be done. Listen to me. Listen to the whole thing now. Listen to give me about like five minutes to explain this. You will never effectively police your actions by focusing just on your actions. I'll explain it like this. People want to stop doing something that they used to do. You know, it's, it's, it, they lost their temper. And that's an action, right? Everybody say action. I, I did this thing. I should not have lost my temper. That's an action. I want to stop losing my temper. Now, the reason why is because if I keep losing my, action, uh, losing my temper over and over again, I'm not just going to have a bad action. I'm going to have a bad what? Habit. And habitual people who lose their temper over and over again don't live good lives, do they? Eventually, they, lo they lose relationships. People don't want to be around them. They lose their jobs. You lose your job, you lose your money, you, maybe you lose your house. If you can't control this action of losing your temper, your anger gets out of control, and it happens over and over again, you develop a habit which produces a what in your life? A destiny. An action produced over and over habitually produces your destiny. See, the truth of the matter is, 
this is, losing your temper is not that bad. If it was just that, like, you ever lost your temper and you're like, man, that felt awesome. Don't lie to me, you did. <laughs> I told them what I thought, buddy, just one time. There's a YouTube, go YouTube this preacher who loses it in church and he just tells everybody off. It's the coolest video I've ever seen. He's like, well, you no good anyways because you talk about me. He just goes all, I told Leslie, on my retirement day at Daystar, I'm just going to let everybody have it. <laughs> it's going to feel awesome. I'm kidding. I love all y'all. Just be here that day. Um, but, you know, it's not a terrible thing to lose your temper in that moment because it feels so good you want to do it. The reason you don't want to do it is not because it doesn't feel good. The reason you don't want to keep losing your temper is because if it becomes a habit... It ruins your life, right? That's why you don't want to do this. It feels great to do. It, plug any sin in here, sexual sin. You, you don't want to commit sexual sins because of where it's going to lead you. Not because your flesh, your body didn't want to do it, right? It feels good. The Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. But in the end, it leads to death. And so here's what we try to do, and it never works. We try to go, oh, uh, I don't want to end up here, so I'm going to fix this. I'm going to not do this, not do this. And let me tell you, it'll never work. Because the reason, let's just talk about anger. The reason you committed an anger sin is because you had angry feelings. And you just kept feeling more and more angry. You just kept mulling it over until eventually it blew up and this is what happened. And you, you, you developed a lifestyle of it and it led you to your destiny. Well, then, then if I can't control my actions, maybe I can control my feelings. How, how many know you cannot control your feelings? You feel how you feel. There is one thing that will stop this whole process and one thing you absolutely can control and it's your thoughts. How you think produces how you feel and how you feel produces the actions that you take and when you take those actions habitually, it produces your destiny. And so the reason you lost your temper is something happened and you started thinking angry thoughts. I can't believe she said that. I can't believe they think this way about me. And you just marinated on it over and over again until you felt angry feelings and you felt them long enough until it boiled over and you said what you wanted to say and you put them in your place and you lost your temper and it felt so good you did it again and again and again until it ruined all your relationships. That's how sin works. It doesn't begin with an action. It doesn't even begin with a temptation. It begins with continually thinking the wrong thoughts. Let me show you that in Scripture. Look at James chapter 1 verse 14. I hope you're locked in here. I'm teaching you something that will help you. Each one of you is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Now look at my little blocks up here, and leave that verse on the screen if you can. Watch how this works. When you're tempted, that's your thought, right? You're tempted. You're in the gym. You came in there, gentlemen, because you have a spare tire. You want to work that spare tire off, but little Miss Leggings came in there. We know why she came in. We know why she came in. Come to the relationship series. I'll preach about her. I don't have time to get on her right now. <laughs> but you got a thought. And you're not going to hell for that thought. You didn't make that woman come in there dressed and acting that way. But you got to change your thoughts. you got to bounce your eyes, look at something else, think about something else. Because if you think wrong thoughts long enough, you're going to feel wrong feelings. You know how you, look, you know your thought life is messed up? The first clue is 
your feelings. And then before long, feelings produce an action. Watch, watch it. It says you, you, you're tempted, and then you're enticed. That's what this, James says. You're tempted first, then you're enticed, and then desire begins to happen right here. And then when desire happens, sin. Sin happens, and, and sin is birthed. It actually says sin is birthed. In other words, it starts to grow. So it goes from a sin action to a sin habit. And sin, when it is full grown, births what? Death. That's how, that's how that whole process works. It's not that a guy got up one day and decided he wanted to be a porn addict. Or, or he wanted to be an anger-aholic. Or, or a woman wanted to be a thief or something. No, it started way over here. They don't pay me enough. I can't believe how they, they don't pay me. I work t- twice as hard as everybody. And just poor thought produces resentment and anger. And all of a sudden, you're stealing money out of the cash register. It becomes a lifestyle, and you're a full-blown thief. You see, that's how sin works. You don't fix it here, here, or you fix it here. You change your thoughts. Now that whole process, I showed you the negative of it. Let me show you the whole reason God designed you to work this way. Go with me to this verse in Philippians 4. Here's how you control your thoughts. This is how you break addictions. This is how you change your destiny. Finally, brothers, whatever is, and I need you to say the word with me that God wants you to think on. There's a whole list of them. I want you to say it with me. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. Let's just think about thinking purity. Little Miss Leggins comes by, you decide to think pure thoughts. Man, with a thought process of purity, you're going to feel like God's taking you somewhere. You're going to be optimistic, and because you've thought pure thoughts and you've got pure feelings, you're going to do pure things. Man, pure things are going to bless your relationships. It's going to bless your marriage. You'll become a habitually pure person, and you'll have a pure destiny. How many wants a pure destiny in Christ Jesus? Let's think about what else he says. He says, uh, excellent. If anything's excellent or praiseworthy. What if you're sitting there at work, and instead of complaining that they don't pay you enough, and start thinking about how much money they owe you and all this process until you're stealing money, what if you started thinking about, thank God that you have legs and arms to do your job. And thank God that they are paying you something. And thank God that it's America and you can do better. And man, you're just thinking praiseworthy things. Before long, you've got a good, thankful attitude. And guess what? God rewards that. Your boss probably will reward it, but even if he or she does not, God rewards it in other ways. And before long, man, you're thinking praiseworthy, positive thoughts. You've got positive feelings. You're doing the right things. And those actions produce a lifestyle that will bless you. When you live and believe positivity because of the Holy Spirit, you take steps of faith, and God brings you to a destiny you could never get to on your own. Somebody say amen. See what God wants you to do? The Bible says you're to meditate. I say meditate on God's Word. Not, not meditate on your circumstances. See, that's what we do. can't believe this happened to me. I don't know what's going to happen next. Man, if I lose my job, I don't know what I'll do. Man, what is that feeling, man? Is that, is that heart pain? If I got chest pains? Man, what if I have a heart attack? Don't meditate on that. Meditate on God's Word. You know, you can think your way into a sickness. You can praise and believe and hope your way into health. Oh, you don't believe that. You absolutely can. Jesus said, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. 
you can praise, you can believe, you can think about it, feel and walk into action, and you walk right into a destiny of your hope and your healing. You can believe God for it. The word meditate, Scripture says meditate, a synonym for meditate is rumination. Meditation and rumination. Rumination is an agricultural word. It, it, it describes what a cow does when, he eats, when she eats grass. And, and, and she, she chews on it, and you've, like cows are always chewing. Picture a cow you've seen. What's she doing? Chewing all the time. Doing that thing. And so she swallows it. And a cow has four stomachs. It's a little bit gross, I'm sorry. And, 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 but there's more nutrients in that grass after she swallows it the first time. And so she burps it back up out of that first stomach and starts chewing on it. And, and, and out of her stomach, it actually has more flavor. That's the gross part, I'm sorry. And she keeps chewing on it. Isn't it great? God is so awesome. Because the cow's not smart enough to realize it. But God makes it taste better. I know that's gross. I'm so sorry. But it's true. And they keep chewing on it. And they rumination is the word. Rumination. It gets more of the... Because there wasn't enough. All the minerals weren't gone when the cow swallowed it. So the cow swallows it again. It goes to her second stomach. And before long, boom. She, she, she burps it back up and she keeps going. Until she passes it through all four of her stomachs and gets every little morsel. Well, how else could grass feed a gigantic animal like a cow? Because she gets every little morsel and mineral out of that grass. Now God said, he used the same word to say, meditate on my word. Chew it up, swallow it, think about it, chew it, get everything out of it. Look at every word. Man, I love people who love God's word. I mean, read it. And when you read it, don't get in a hurry. Next year, y'all, we're going to do the one-year Bible together. I'm going to preach all the way through the Bible. I'm excited about it. But I'm going to tell you right now, if you get behind, just stay behind. Just get on something that speaks to you because there's a morsel in between thee and and that you don't want to miss. There's something in every little word. Don't miss it. And if you're listening to too much radio blather and news junk and too much arguments and watching silly Netflix programs and you're never in the Word, you're not going to get the beautiful, amazing, life-changing morsels that God has for you. See, God's changing you. And, and He's filling you with His Holy Spirit. And you're going to have the fruit of the Spirit inside of you. You're going to be better than you ever were before. And you're going to produce fruit. You ever, you ever had vine-ripened tomatoes? How many of you grow your own tomatoes? They're bad. Why do you grow your own tomatoes? Because they're way better than store-bought. You know what they do with the store-bought? They pull them off the vine before they're ripe. They're still green. They stick them in these boxes and they put them in trucks because if, 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 they, were, if, they, were, if they were ripe, they'd be soft and they'd get all mushed up before they made it to the stores. And so they pull them off when they're green and just before they go on the shelf, they spray them down with carbon dioxide to ripen them up falsely. And so you, when you cut into them, you eat tomato and carbon dioxide. And it doesn't taste nearly as good. But if you've had a fine ripened tomato, you know. Now, <clears throat> so here's the thing. <clears throat> Everything in our world has changed. <clears throat> Everything's gotten faster. But God hasn't gotten any faster. He wants to ripen you until you're just right and just in the right moment, you make the next step. Some of you are like, why, why, why am I going through this? Because He's ripening you. Because he's getting you to where you need to go next. Everything's in a hurry, you know. Used to, if you want to get a picture of yourself, you take a picture, you turn in the film, you wait a couple weeks, you get your picture back, oh, I was blinking, and you throw it out, right? Now, you take 14 pictures, you know, I don't look all that good, put a filter on it, man, look how awesome I look now, and put it on Instagram, everybody can see how sexy I am. 
I'm sorry, I'm going to preach that in February. All right. It's coming. I can't wait. But we do all that, right? Everything has come faster and faster and faster. God's Word has not sped up. It's not changed its pace. God does not do things any differently than He did a thousand years ago. You are to grow and slowly mature and build, and that's what God is building in.